arts are everywhere and in everything. And there's a fascinating, unique person and story behind each one. And that's what the Arthropologist is all about. Exploring the arts, one unique person and one unique story at a time. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm the Arthropologist. seasons Summer, winter, spring and fall And you may think walking the bright side of the street will bring you happiness and all So I will break this to you gently Welcome to The Arthropologist. You were just listening to Seasons Are Gonna Change by Hunter Gibson. Hunter, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Bill. Oh, man, that was fantastic. I mean, I really, really loved that song. And it's so apropos to what's going on right now. It really is. Uh, I wrote it with uh, a lyricist, Robin White, two years ago. But this week, I, I just started thinking about it again. And I thought, it's so appropriate now. I'd like to, to re-record it and add some more vocals and instruments and, um, and, and make a YouTube video. Um, so I just, I just put that out. Okay. And we have been talking earlier about backtracking and apparently that's a lot of what you just did on this song. So explain to everyone what backtracking is because I didn't know until you started telling me on the phone. Okay. Well, backing tracks, as it's uh, sometimes referred to, is a term that, um, that, that people, if you want a song, you can, you can buy or create a backing track. So it, it, it's kind of a new thing. It's, it's not something that, that we had available in the 80s when I first started out. Um, so I used to have to create all all the sounds of my one-man band act, which I started in the about three years into performing to try to pick things up because I knew a lot of people that were listening wanted more danceable stuff. So then I started learning how to program drums and, and sequence instruments. And uh, so I used to spend as much as eight hours working on a three-minute song. It was a really long process. And in the last few years, because of the internet, it's made it a lot easier. They actually have websites you can go to and you can purchase the backing tracks and customize them. Um, you know, take out instruments, um, take out vocals, you know, mix it. And so there's still work involved with putting the track together, but it's not from scratch. So, so that's what I do a lot of now on the popular songs where I can find the tracks and then I mix them together uh, and, you know, get the volumes evened out. A lot of people don't realize how much work goes into putting together a show for a one man band setup like I have, because they think that I just push a button on stage and make the songs appear. But there's actually a lot of, a lot of prep work that goes into to getting them 
matched up and, and edited um, and all that. But in the in the early days, I had to do everything from scratch. And which brings me to the song that we just heard, Seasons Are Gonna Change. I did all the instruments for that as well, except the slide guitar. I had uh, Chris Gill, a good friend of mine, played the slide guitar on that two years ago. And I just took his track from two years ago and uh, adjusted it and changed the key to fit the newly recorded version. But then I programmed the, the drums and the bass and played the organ and piano um, and did like a synthesized guitar and then recorded all the vocals. So that's how I used to do all my live show songs. But luckily, it's not, it's not as, as time consuming as it used to be. The, the instruments that you're talking about, um, when you're doing backtracking and the digital ones you can get online, are, are any of these purely digital or are they performances that someone else has done that's just been digitized? Um, if you understand what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. Well, it depends on the song. Um, there's a certain website that I use now I think it's called karaoke version and they have customizable backing tracks. You pay $3 and then you get all the instruments individually. Now, if you have to have some kind of computer recording software in order to take the tracks and individualize them and mix them. Um, so, you know, just, just anybody, would be able to get the track, but they wouldn't really be able to to customize them um, without some other kind of software. But a lot of those have actual instruments, uh, and you can preview the tracks. You know, I try to stay away from the ones that sound like they're obviously just digital instruments. Um, but some drum drum program, blah, but some drum programs can actually sound very realistic. And I've always tried to make my drum parts sound like they were actually played by a drummer. Um, well, let me ask you this. Now I'm just curious. How many instruments do you play? Um, well, keyboard is my main instrument. I play harmonica as well. I play uh, a little guitar. I used to, to play a little more guitar than I do now. Um, and I, I play a little bass and a little bit of drums, but so I play a little bit of a lot of instruments, but uh, mainly just the keyboards. And so how many hours, I know for some of the performances I've been to with you, you're up there for you know, two or three hours. So how many hours of prep work would it take to put together a playlist that you're going to go through in that three hour period of time? That's hard to say. Um, you know, like I said, it used to take me like eight hours to program a song. And now with, with the uh, being able to get the tracks, I can usually get one downloaded and put together in a couple of hours. So if you, you know, if you, if I'm going to play 30 songs in a, a three hour period, then that would basically be, um, what 60, 60 hours of work, but but I, of course I don't do that for every show. Once I get the songs 
learned and programmed and they're there. So, so that's why when, uh, guys like me, I'm out on the floor dancing with my wife and all of a sudden, uh, I want to do a different kind of dance. You know, we might be doing a lot of what you do. A lot of popular stuff kind of goes to an East coast swing every once in a while, like the girl from Ipanema or something like that is to a, um, uh, Roomba beat. And so after a while I get tired of doing the East coast. And so I'll say, well, let me go see if I can do a request. Well, so, Guys like me are kind of a pain then, aren't we? Because it's not like you've just got it on a record album and you can just move the needle and and come up with this other song. Well, at least for you, you if you requested a specific song, that would be easy uh, because I do know the song. So I could just uh, go to my iPad and, and call up the music that I've programmed or downloaded. Um, but a lot of times people will say, play a you know, play a rumba or play a um, cha-cha. And, and I'm bad about not knowing what kind of dances go with certain kind of songs. So that's always kind of a problem with dancers is our, our languages are, are different. Yeah, I know it, um, uh, for a dancer, especially, I mean, I don't pretend like I'm this professional dancer. Uh, we do dance. We've been dancing about 10 years and we do actually teach, but we teach on a, you know, a beginner's level. Uh, and so all I know is, you know, like the rumba is slow, quick, quick, slow. Well, when you walk up to a musician and say, play a beat that goes quick, quick, slow, they look at you kind of funny because they, it doesn't translate in their head. No, in fact, um, I've seen you on the dance floor. You, you, you guys do a great job. Um, but I, uh, my wife and I took a, a dance class several years ago, and it was really hard for me to count because because the counting and dancing is is very different from the counting and music. A lot of times it's it's like maybe on three beats or you know, like you said, quick quick slow, and and it was really hard for me to do the counting because it's it's very different than music, musicians counting. Um, now tell me, you know, you've been doing this for a long time and again, wanting to sort of help a, a young person that's starting out and wanting to emulate you because you've made your living for almost four decades exclusively as a musician. And uh, I, I know that even before the digital age, albums, CDs, that was not where you made your money. I, I can remember even when the digital age started, I believe it was the Grateful Dead, they started giving their albums away, much to the chagrin of their uh, uh, record producer, because they said, well, we don't make any money off that anyway. It's the performances. So um, talk, talk a little bit about, you know, what you have to do to uh, get your gigs and what you're looking at now with the possibility of an ongoing off again, on again, quarantine situation. Hmm. Well, it's, it's very different now than it was. I remember when I first started out, I basically just picked up the yellow pages and started looking through places. And if I saw 
live music, then I would just call them. And uh, the first place I ever played in Jackson in 1982 was a place called the Seafood Market Restaurant. They had an ad in the yellow pages that said live piano player. So I called to see if they would give me a chance. And they said, you know, we, we took that ad out, but we've yet to actually start having a live piano player. So we liked the idea. So I was the first one. And uh, basically I just showed up and played a night for free and they liked it. And I played there for like three or four months uh, regularly, but it's, it's certainly not like that today. There's it's, it's harder um, for several reasons, but one is there's, there's kind of a, a group of musicians that, that play a lot of the same places. And, and so some of the restaurants or bars are booked up uh, with their regular entertainers and don't have a whole lot of room for new people to come in, but it does happen. Um, there are several clubs that, that like to, to have fresh faces. So they're, always willing to let somebody come in and, and give it a shot. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, for me, it was just getting on the phone and, and um, sending out tapes to people. Sometimes that would cassette tapes. Yeah. That's, that was a long time ago, but, um, but some people just want to hear you play live. So I played a lot of, a lot of shows for free just to kind of, you know, audition. Um, and I think that's pretty much the best way to do it now um, is if you're willing to, to show up at a place and play a show for free and uh, see what they think. But, well, uh, that, that brings up something very interesting because uh, in my world, so many people want free art, you know, the, especially auctions uh, and charity events. And, you know, they'll say, uh, oh, this will give you so much exposure. And we've got a little, it's almost like a meme in the uh, painting world that goes around, you know, exposure bucks. And, you know, you can't buy anything with, those, <laughs> with, with exposure bucks. And, uh, you know, it's been my experience that on a lot of these auctions, a lot of charity events, you just don't get any traction off of it. And uh, I mean, some people do, but lots and lots of artists don't. And so I was really curious uh, as far as in your music world, how many charitable events are you asked to perform at and how often are you asked to do this for free? Well, um, it happened a lot more early on. I think, and I don't know this, I'm just guessing, but I'm, I'm thinking that, that maybe because if people know that I'm a professional musician, they might be thinking, well, we can't ask him to, to do this for free because this is how he makes his living. So I don't get as many, um, you know, people, as many people asking to do those type of events, but we do have a certain number that we have been doing for several years. Um, and so we, we just kind of pick and choose certain, um, certain events and uh, fundraisers that we do for free. Um, Boys and Girls Club, uh, 
Blues by Starlight has been one of them. Uh, Taste of Mississippi has been one. We've done that one for, gosh, probably 20 years. Um, we always do that one for free. But And it just, a lot of times it depends on the day of the week. You know, certain events like Taste of Mississippi is generally on a Monday night. So that's an easy, fairly easy night for us to play a freebie. But if it were on a Saturday night, you know, that there's probably no way I could agree to that because we do so many wedding receptions on weekends. Is solo work or uh, band work the majority of, of your, your work? Well, over the last five or six years, the private gigs have increased for the band and slowed down for the solo act. So I don't know exactly what the reason for that was. Um, maybe it's people are just wanting just a bigger party for their wedding receptions. So the band is getting a lot more work in the wedding receptions and private parties. But in the club work, it's always been a lot more of the solo duo, maybe trio work, because there are very few places that can afford to pay the whole band to uh, to play. There's really only one public place that we play in town, Shuckers. And other other than that, it's all private events. That's that's something that you learn. Uh, you've you've got to know your audience, and uh, I've always tried to to keep my music very very much a variety of, of music so that if we play an event, uh, they're not just hearing all blues or all rock or all pop. Or all. So we well, I want to say, I want to say from a, a, a listener's standpoint, at least from my standpoint as a dancer, I have appreciated that. And as a matter of fact, other dance instructors that I've talked to, they really like your band because you do play that variety. Um, we'll go places a lot of times where uh, for two solid hours, all they play are uh, Foxtrot beats. And, you know, I, we love the Foxtrot. It's fine. And of course, for people who don't know, that's really more of a 40s, type big band era type music it's got a particular beat and it's a little bit unique and so uh you know for a lot of dances you just can't you can't do uh, an east coast swing to a a, a foxtrot beat or vice versa it's not going to happen so you know you go and you want to dance and there's only one kind of dance you can do whereas with your band and with your solo act We've gone in and you play such a broad range. It's been really nice because you just, you don't get bored listening. It's got a lot of variety to it. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Cause that's, that's always been what I've strived to do uh, with any configuration is, is to, to really get a variety. I, I don't, I don't really like to go hear somebody play and every song kind of sounds the same. Um, and that's another advantage to have the backing tracks is that you can you can change things up. You can play a song with just piano, and then the next song you can bring in uh, the other programmed instruments and go from Elton John to Usher. You know. Yeah, and I will tell you something else. Just one of my pet peeves 
is um, you do not play overly loud. I will tell you, my wife and I, and lots of those of us who dance and all, we, we actually carry earplugs with us all the time because you get in even to an, a, a large room and you just, you can't even talk to the person you're right in front of because the music is so loud. And one of the things that we have appreciated so much with your band is that, I mean, yeah, if you're right on top of the speakers, then it's pretty loud, but you can, you can be in the same room and be in the back and actually talk to somebody without being blown away with the sound. Yeah, that's another thing that, that I find very important. Um, you know, I try to listen to, to what people say um, and keep that in mind, um, especially at weddings. You know, I know that if I were at a wedding or a party, maybe I'll listen to the band, maybe I'll dance, but I'm not there. It's not a concert. I'm not there just to to hear the loud music. I want to be able to visit. I mean, these people are, you know, if it's a, a wedding or a class reunion, these people are catching up. And so it, I always try to strike a balance between it being loud enough to where people can really feel the music and, and want to dance to it, but not overpowering so that they have to scream at each other. And I always tell clients, um, you know, if, if it's too loud, let me know. I Don't hesitate. I'm not one of those musicians that are like, I'm not going to turn down. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. You started out and you were a single man. Uh, a few years into your career, you get married and you start having children. I think you've got, I think, two. Um, two, yeah. How did that change? How did that change your dynamic? I mean, for one thing, most of your gigs are at night, I'm assuming. So how does that play on family life? How does all that work? Being a professional, full-time musician and having a successful family life? Actually, it, it worked out really well. Um, we, we, we have two daughters, and we never had to pay for daycare because since I worked at night, I basically took care of the girls during the day while my wife worked. And then she came home from work, and a lot of times it was like tag team. She'd walk in, and I'm walking out. Or I'd call her and say, hey, can you get home a little bit early? I got to go to a gig. Um, but it, it usually worked out well. And uh, the only bad thing is that we just didn't see a whole lot of each other. Um, because our so How many nights so a week do you work now? And then maybe back then, how many nights a week were you working? Uh, I was probably back then playing like five nights a week. Now it's, now it's more like four. It hadn't changed a whole lot, but generally every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm, I'm playing. Um, so I'd say about half the week, you know, half the week I'm home, half the week I'm not. Um, and and it, when you're setting up, even well. when you're doing a local event, how many hours does it take to set up the, the equipment, and I'm sure it varies depending on whether you're doing it solo or whether you're doing it with the whole band. Isn't it something several hours before and several hours after? Yeah, well, with the band, it really is. It's, it's basically a minimum of two hours 
set up for the band's equipment and about an hour and a half takedown. With the solo act, it's more like, you know, anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour to set up and take down. But I'm doing that all myself. So I used to have a roadie for my solo act, and then I thought, this is ridiculous. I can pick this stuff up by myself. And so I kind of use it as, as my personal workout. Luckily, we had several things happen, but it was early, early on. This was like in the late 70s when I was playing in a band. We showed up at a club in Meridian one time, and we were contracted to play from 8 to 12, and we only knew four hours of material. Well, counting breaks, more like a little over three hours. And we got to the club, and they had extended it an hour. So it was 8 to 1. And we didn't know what to do. We thought, well, maybe we could uh, maybe we could play the first set over again, or maybe we could just take longer breaks. So we decided to take longer breaks. And, uh, and this really upset the manager. And she refused to pay us for the whole weekend. Um, but it's one of those things, you know, where, okay, you change the times on us. We have a contract that says we play for four hours and you want us to play for five. So we kind of felt like we didn't do anything wrong. Anyway, it ended up going to court and uh, our drummer's mom was a lawyer at the time and, and she got us our, our $600, <laughs> two <laughs> nights for $600. Wow. <laughs> but among how many people, three, four? Oh, uh, I think we had four in the band. And of course, oh. we had to rent. So we we rarely made any money back then. Um, and there was another time when the same band was playing in Waynesboro, Waynesboro, and uh, and our our manager decided we were playing in an airplane hangar for some high school party or something. And our manager decided to drive down the runway of the airport because he thought that would be fun. And he he got arrested. And uh, so we ended up having to bail him out of jail in the middle of the night. That was uh, that was not a very good trip. But luckily, that you know, that was just one of those things where if you just you've got to know what you're doing. If, you know, you've got to know you've got to you've got to take the gigs that. I, you know, when you're just starting out, you'll take anything. So I guess that's just kind of one of the disadvantages of, of starting out is that you do really need to take whatever you can. Um, but sometimes it'll be with a shady bar owner or, uh, you know, and, and not with a contract. And you know, there's so many stories about bands or musicians that don't get paid what they're supposed to. And they, they really don't have any way to um, any, any help in that department, but uh, yeah, well, lawyers do fees, contracts. Yeah, lawyer fees would eat up whatever you would get from the contract anyway. Exactly. And I've just been lucky enough to work with honest people over the years. Uh, one of the weirdest things that happened with, with the current band was about, 15, maybe 15 years ago, we booked a wedding reception in Tupelo 
And the father of the bride, I don't know if he was a lawyer or if he just had been burned before. Uh, but when he sent the contract back that I sent out, he attached something to say, if we didn't show up for whatever reason, we had to pay him $10,000. And this was probably a $1,500 gig. And that's the weirdest request I've ever had. And I, all I could tell him was, look, you know, I can give you references. We've been doing this for a long time, but I, I can't guarantee you that we'll show up because there's too many things that could go wrong. I can tell you that, that we've never missed a gig before. And, you know, that's the best I can do. And, and he finally took that clause off. And the weird thing is, is that they ended up canceling the, the whole wedding anyway. <laughs> After all that. Hey, I love that $10,000 clause. That's, <laughs> you know, as if you could have even that's come funny. up with that. And I know, and it, it even got, it even got better after they canceled. Um, they, I had to keep their deposit because they canceled so quickly to the time that I didn't have time to book another gig. And that's part of my contract is if we reserve the date and you cancel and I can't replace the date with something else, um, then I keep the deposit. Well, I went on vacation and it happened to be that Saturday and the, apparently the mom noticed that and sent me an email and said, well, I think you should just give us back our money since you went on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> well, this family just is better and better. I did not give the money back because I still lost out on work. Well, Hunter, this has been a delight. Um, can you tell us how people can get a hold of you? What, what's your website? Uh, it's very easy, huntergibson.com. And then the, the band is hunterandthegators.com. So okay. Reach and and what about way. Facebook? You on Facebook? Yes. Uh, I have a personal Facebook page, which is just Hunter Gibson. And I also have a, a group called Fans of Hunter Gibson um, that you can ask to join. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Hunter. This has been fantastic. Well, thank you for having me, Bill. I really, I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode of The Arthropologist, there are more episodes on YouTube. To see my work, you can visit my website, BillWilsonStudio.com, where I have my books, prints, and originals for sale. I am a portrait painter and illustrator, and there you can contact me about commissioned work. I'm Bill Wilson and I'm the anthropologist.